Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is our seventh step in the Remember Secure Sun series. Seven in Hebrew is Sheva. Shesh Sheva. <laughs> Six, seven. And uh, any serious Bible student eventually encounters this as a unique number. I mean, it has its own special significance. Sheva, of course, literally means seven. But from Genesis to Revelation, it also indicates things like the completion of the week cycle. You go through six days, the seventh day happens, and then we start a new cycle. The completion of the feast cycle, seven feasts, and then the cycle starts again. The completion of the Sabbath year cycle. The total cycle of Sabbath years arriving at Jubilee and then starting again in a new cycle. By the time you get to the book of Revelation, the heptatic occurrences are so numerous that they defy anybody's ability to truly, properly count them. There are seven churches. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven lampstands, seven spirits of God. There are seven unique titles of Jesus given to the seven churches. You can go on like that literally forever. This is not limited to the Bible either. It's also true throughout creation. Universally in the field of music, there's always seven notes before you start a new octave. The point of us reminding you of the significance of Sheva is that we are completing our steps today. But it's also the initiation of a whole nother cycle. That's kind of exciting. As we review our six previous steps, we'll come to the seventh today, the Shiva. This will become abundantly clear to you that we're in a cycle. In fact, it's a cycle of security and not of sinful self-reliance. We're actually in a cycle of victory and not defeat. Amen. We are not in a cycle of never-ending accommodation. Oh, but rather, we are in a cycle of supernatural transformation. Amen. By the end of the message today, you're going to find out that we haven't come to the termination point, but rather, we've actually entered into the perpetual testimony of God. Yeah. Come on now. That perpetual testimony of God. We're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 1. And verse 17, say perpetual testimony when you get there. Come on, Ephesians 1, 17. That was only about 33.1% of you. Let's get to perpetual testimony. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 17 says this. I keep asking that the God of our yeah. Lord Jesus Christ, yes. you know, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Church, we're asking and we're going to keep on asking. We've been given wisdom and revelation in this house. We Ooh. know him better than we did. Can somebody agree to that? Yeah. We are knowing him more than we did, and we will know him even better in the journey, the perpetual, ongoing journey that is before us. Oh, can't stop, won't stop, Pastor. <laughs> did you hear that? We will know him even better in the journey. Well, let's review our previous steps that we've taken so far in a Remember series. Pull up the slide. We started with step uno. Step one, 
And that was to remember the day that you stood in the Lord's presence. I want to ask you something, church. Did you do your homework? Did it result in becoming even more of a secure son as a result of it? Well, that's exactly what God intended it for be, to be out of Deuteronomy 4. Well, that brings us to our second remember. That's remember that you were a slave and he brought you out of there. Out of Deuteronomy 5.15. Man, what a security it is to remember what God destroyed on day one. Well, step three. Remember what the Lord did to Pharaoh and... Moreover, what he'll do to those leftovers, those giants in your land found in Deuteronomy 7. Well, step four, the quattro. <laughs> Remember how the Lord your God led you just for a couple of days. No, 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 no. For how long did he declare this in Deuteronomy? All the way. All the way. For 40 years he led them in a desert. This whole time. Deuteronomy 8 is very clear about that. Well, that leads to our next one in step five. Remember the Lord, your God, gives you the ability or the Hebrew word? Koach. Koach. Wait, do it one more time. I want to hear the end real clear. Koach. Got it. Nailed it. And that koach produced even more power, even more dunamis inside of your life. And that combined together confirms his covenant with you. That's the importance of remembering this. Well, that brings us to our sixth remember. Remember how you provoked the Lord. Not somebody else. Remember how you provoked the Lord. How you have been rebellious. As stated in Deuteronomy 9-7. You know, remembering your salvation journey and the faithfulness of your father. Well, that, that is overwhelmingly encouraging, isn't it? Yes. See, the sixth step. Number six is both the number of sin and the number of man hermeneutically. The sixth step could actually be overwhelmingly discouraging mm -hmm. if it were not for Sheva or the seventh step. But there is a seventh step. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah! See, our journey is not over. There's another step for us to take in an ongoing manner. It's not over! It's, it's not, not over. over. Come on, Johnny Lang. It's not over. So let's take a look at the yes. Shreva, the seventh step. Everybody turn to Deuteronomy 9.27 or 9.20 Shreva. They actually begin with the seven. It's seven and 20. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But for you, it's 9.27. Is everybody there? Yeah. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Overlook the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness, and their sin. Look, the first six steps have been God's divine command for us to remember his powerful and faithful workings in our lives. So step Sheva, step seven is unique. Can you get, can you, is, are you feel it yet? Yeah. It's unique because in step seven, it is us asking God to remember. Every other step has been God commanding us to remember. <laughs> step seven is our response. Remember your servants. How? <laughs> Lord, Lord, don't forget me. Don't leave me. And it's yeah. like my wife asked me once a month, you love me? <laughs> like for 28 years I've loved you. It's us saying, Lord, remember. 
your servants, yes. your sons. Yes. Remember your partners, yes. Lord. Remember us. Somebody say remember. Remember. And Lord, while you're remembering us, it's also important that we ask for you to, um, you know, overlook our stubbornness. <laughs> That we yeah. just wrestled with in the previous that We need you to overlook that part. We need you to overlook the wickedness and the sin. Now, church, the very fact that Moses could even make this request is evidence. Somebody say evidence. Evidence. Of what men throughout the generations have come to learn about our father. Let me tell you how David said it. Let me just begin to read to you. Hold your place right there in Deuteronomy. This is out of Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, yeah. so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Oh. Yeah. Now, for those of us who grew up in the King James kind of version of the Bible, here's how it says in the King James. He remembers that we are but, but dust. dust. Some more than others, by the way. <laughs> As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. Its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant. And remember. Somebody say remember. Remember. Remember to obey his precepts. Man, this is another encouraging scripture. Yes. Well, look. As we continue to read in the next few verses in Deuteronomy 9. I want you to notice that Moses, as a son and as a partner with God. He is concerned about a much larger, larger context than the immediate failures of himself and the people. Moses' concerns are focused on God, not himself, which is one of the markers of a true and secure son. As we go through this text, we think it'll become clear. We're going to put the emphasis on the right syllables yeah. for you. You ready? <laughs> Verse 28. Otherwise, the country from which you brought us, will say, because the Lord was not able to take them into the land. He had promised them. And because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the desert. See, Moses is concerned with his father's reputation, not his own yeah. reputation. See, church, Moses is focused on the testimony of God and not on his own testimony. Moses highlights the promises of God and their worldwide prominence rather than accentuating the performance of any man. This is about God and his ability, Amen. not man and his inability. Come on. Pick up with us in 29. It gets even better. But they are your, your people, your inheritance that you, you brought out by your, your great power and your, your outstretched arm. Oh, yeah. Look. In case you didn't notice, in verses 28 and 29, Moses refers to God no less and no more than 10 times. Yeah. Exactly the number of the commands that were just broken. This whole story and testimony is about our father and his faithfulness, his promises, his ability to perform what he has said Amen. he will do. Now, we're making sure that our church gets this. 
Because the preaching of salvation has all too often been focused on a singular event that supposedly guarantees you inheriting something. But the biblical record emphasizes something entirely different. Salvation is a journey that arrives with God inheriting something. Namely, a transformed people. God inherits a partner and a prince with himself. God is getting the inheritance. Look, church, people chosen by God and called his people are to be transformed into his inheritance. He is the one who brings them out. He is the one who transforms them by his great power and by his outstretched arm. This is the testimony of God, and it is not a one-time act, but instead it is a perpetual cycle. Anybody want to become what God inherits? Yes. Look, as we continue to know him better, it's incumbent upon us. It's paramount and of the highest importance that we know our responsibility to this process. Yes. Do you want to know what your part in all of this is? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you do. Because there's no chapter break between 9 and 10 in the original text. And God's response is in the very next sentence. Chapter 10, verse 1, no break. At that time, um, what time would that be? At the time that Moses is talking about their sin, wickedness, and rebellion. At that time, the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And come up to me on the mountain. Also, make a wooden chest. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Then you are to put them in the chest. See, this is very similar to our Remember series, Step 1. You remembered when you stood in the presence of the Lord. Well, Moses, like you, at the beginning of the salvation journey... He didn't do anything. I didn't either. On the day that I first stood in his presence, the thing is, is the Lord did it all for me. The first time Moses went up that mountain to get the tablets, the Lord cut them out of the mountain. The Lord inscribed them. The Lord didn't, he he just handed it to Moses as Moses is a passive recipient. That was just like me at salvation. No work went into it. He did everything. But now something has changed. But now Moses has responsibility to bring his own stone tablets up the mountain to God. See, we have a responsibility to bring our stony hearts up to the mountain of God. We are not passive recipients anymore. We are sons, we are partners, and we are in the process of salvation. We have to approach him. Yes. Come on now, to be a partner and a son in the process of salvation. What does that mean? That means that our faithful father has partnered with us. He's partnered with us as his son, and he continues in his promise. What does that look like, and what does that mean? It means that salvation is a journey, not a one-step process. See, in step seven, God himself promises to re-inscribe on the tablets of our heart With the very same words, with the very same presence, with the very same spirit that we stood in on day one. 
We're at step seven, but we're getting to experience his spirit exactly the same way, but now we are able to know him better. The difference is, is that we know him better. And we now have a part in the process. We have a partnership in this cycle. We are partners with him in this ongoing journey. Man, what good news it is about this clear truth that Pastor Wade just spoke about. And there's another clear truth that we have to recognize. That nobody in this process is innocent. No, no, not. Not any of you. Not one of you. Not us either. Nada. The people violated the law. Moses, he literally broke the tablets. But in step seven, they get to return to his presence. They get to be re-inscribed by the original presence of God. But there's even more. There's more? There's more? There is more. They are now going to put them in a special chest as a testimony to what they have learned about their father. Because you may not see it yet, but they now know him better than they ever did prior to. Look, I can tell that this is going to have to sink in a little bit. And that's okay. To appreciate the beauty of what Pastor Matthew just said to you, we're going to turn to Exodus 34 for a more detailed accounting. Because you're about to find out something beautiful. Do you want to find out something beautiful, Michael? Anybody want to find out something beautiful with Michael? Yes. Come on, Sydney. Did you get born again in the last year? You're not decreasing, are you? You got to increase, huh? We're going to go up that mountain and get inscribed by the presence of God. Here's Exodus 34, starting in verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Mm. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. And proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the The Lord, Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Look, as you engage with this verse, this passage is is mind-boggling. Moses understands his responsibility as a son and a partner with God. So he comes with tablets in hand, just like us with our hearts in our hands. Then, somebody say, then, then, the Lord came down. Yeah. Notice in verses five and six, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. This is an unparalleled event. This is Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. This is the first time in the biblical account that we see the Lord himself proclaim his name, Yahweh, 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 in a threefold manifestation. See, they are knowing him better. He is revealing more of himself or being revealed more fully. And when is all of this? After their sin and their rebellion as they come back to him. Oh, man. 
Come on, church. You want to talk about knowing him better? Does anybody in this house want to know him better? Come on. This is also the first time in scripture that we're seeing a sevenfold descriptor of the father. Not only is it a perfect threefold manifestation of Yahweh, 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 we're going to see seven descriptors of who our God is to get to know him better. Are you ready for this? Let's see it on the slide. Now, see, I know that this church is is letting this sink in. I know that you're processing it because we just read it. And as we were reading the scripture, it made me want to jump off of this stage when I began to see these attributes of God. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. Not abounded, but he is abounding in love. He is abounding in faithfulness. He is maintaining love. And he is forgiving the wickedness, the rebellion, and the sin. Come on, church. Let's engage with this for a minute. On day one, he saved you. He made you his son. But let's be honest. On day one, you didn't know him the way that you know him now. You know him better now. Yes. This revelation of the Father is after the people of Israel have failed greatly and sinned wickedly. And it's the first time it occurs in the scripture. Their first time up the mountain, they didn't get this description. It's after. After. What does that mean? How do you know him better about his compassionate nature? It means that you've messed up and you need his compassion to be shown to you. Y'all act like y'all know this already. You got to let it sink in. How do you know that he's slow to anger if not that you've been rebellious and you've been infuriating? And you see, you know him better that he's slow to anger in you. That he's abounding present tense. He is abounding in love. He's even able to maintain his love. How do you know that better? It's when you are absolutely been unlovely and unlovable, and yet he is able to maintain his love with you. It is after that we come to him. It is after the sin. It is after we come back to him with the tablets inscribed that we know him better. He is now an even greater savior to us with a greater testimony inside of you. It's after you've remembered. It's after you've realized his leading, his enablement. It's after you've realized the stubbornness and stiff nature of your own heart. We know him better in the journey of our salvation. Man, what Pastor Wade has just walked us through is incredible. Incredible. Absolutely incredible to see these characteristics of our father displayed in scripture in its first time. There's something else that goes along with this. It's understanding, look, most poorly taught believers get saved as an event and then spend their entire lives just trying not to taint their status. And by the way, they can't do it. Right. Right. That is not the biblical record. We are on a journey of continual transformation. Amen. Here's the heart. I want to know my father better. And my father wants to know me better. And he wants me to know him better. This testimony about God gets even better. 
So let's move on to verse 8 in our scripture. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Verse 10, or chapter 10, then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never done, never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. But we are and are becoming the Lord's inheritance. He has, but is also presently making a covenant with us. The covenant is from everlasting to everlasting. It is perpetual and ongoing. The journey is ongoing and the covenant is ongoing. The cycle starts with standing in his presence on days one and comes full circle to being re-inscribed in his presence. This is all about transformation and knowing him better. Do you want to know him better? Yeah. See, the initial Exodus event. Well, that was amazing. I love the day that I got saved. It was fantastic. But if you pay careful attention to the promise in verse 10, it surpasses even that. I will do wonders never. Say never. Never. Never before done in any nation. That includes the wonders Yahweh did in the original Exodus event. What could be more amazing than splitting the Red Sea. What could be more amazing than the ten plagues? Well, I'm glad that you have that question. <laughs> the answer is a God who can transform his flawed people. Oh, Come on. And he does this in the full view of the flawed people themselves. Meaning that they know his wonders better as they move from step six to step seven, and he does it in front of their faces. Come on, doing it in front of our faces. That means you've got like a front row seat. You've got a front row seat to seeing all, not only of your flaws, but his wonder working ability that is at work in your life. But the great part is, look how the verse continues on. Those wonders don't just stay in front of you. They don't just stay in front of you as a front row seat. It says the people you live among will see how awesome is the work. The people that you live amongst will see it. His testimony is being worked inside of us. So much so that the nations will see the awesome work the Lord does in us and for us and through us. Because we are his testimony. (laughs) Are you getting it? It's his testimony. Everybody say his testimony. His testimony. Look, the Hebrew word Sheva literally means seven. But it also carries the connotation of completeness. So <laughs> it means you can say, hey, honey, you're a perfect seven. <laughs> perfect. Cultural clashing. Complete. You know, we need to understand it in its context. Not one flaw. Not missing anything. So we want you to look at the seven remembers in a new light. Do you want to see these in a new light? 
Because instead of just thinking of them linearly, try to visualize them as a perfect cyclical process in the journey of salvation. Can you visualize that? Well, we got a slide to help you visualize it. There we go. So as we look at this slide, the journey begins with step one, remembering the day you first stood in his presence, what you felt and experienced. That progresses in this cycle to step two, remembering that you were a slave and he brought you out of there. Man, that immediate freedom. Well, it continues in step three, remembering what the Lord did to Pharaoh and say it with me, moreover, what he will do to those leftovers in your land. The journey continues into step four. Remember how the Lord your God led you the entire time. And that leads us to step five. Remembering the Lord gives you the koach. He gives you the ability for ever increasing power to be in your life. And so confirms his covenant with you. And it increases in this cycle to step six. Remember how you provoked the Lord, how you have been rebellious the whole time, the entire time. And you know what else has been there the entire time? Your father's faithfulness. That brings us to step seven in the same position as step one, coming full circle, saying to the Lord, overlook our stubbornness. Remember, we are your people. Remember, we're your inheritance we are a sign of your ability to transform. And this perpetual and perfect cyclical journey of salvation, it's aimed at one central point. Do you see it in this illustration, saints? It is to know him better. See, the whole Sheva process is his testimony. We know him better and the world around us gets to see how great and awesome is the work of the Lord. And so they have the opportunity to know him based on his testimony in you. See, many pastors and preachers and even pew sitters have so badly bungled the salvation story. Pew that they sitters. Pew, pew sitters. sitters. Yes. Acacia Wood pews. Pew sitters. sitters have so badly bungled the salvation story that they actually envision God's people as carrying around the broken tablets and the ark of God. Boo. They failed to remember that the tablets placed in the ark of God were the re-inscribed yeah. tablets that Moses brought to God with his own hands. Man, this becomes a very important detail, practically speaking. So, is our God, is he the God that saved you, and now you spend your life trying not to screw that up? Or, is he the God that saved you, and is continually re-inscribing and transforming you? Yeah. As his testimony to his greatness. The ark that was carried, it actually has three names in the Bible. Even though it is only one object. Wow. Let me show you what we mean. There are uh, three and yet one. These are examples of which there are dozens in the Bible. Yeah. 
1 Samuel 3, 3. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Somebody say, praise God. Praise, praise God. God. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. This is one of the names, ark of God. And his ark was in the tabernacle at Shiloh and the lamp hadn't gone out. Praise God. But there's another name for it. Numbers 10.33. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. Wow. Now, ark of the covenant is the name everybody remembers because uh, you like Indiana Jones. Here, the ark <laughs> is finding them a place to rest. But my favorite is Exodus 25, 22. Oh, yeah. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you. The ark of the testimony where he meets yeah. with you yeah. and gives you all my commands for the Israelites. See, so is it the ark of God or is it the ark of the covenant or is it the ark of his testimony? Yes! The name and character of God are represented in the re-inscribed tablets and the process of continually meeting with you and transforming you. That is what that chest is. The name and character of God are represented in the ongoing perpetual covenant that symbolized in the words that were inscribed and then re-inscribed upon these tablets. Look, the ark and the re-inscribed tablets are the testimony about God. They are the testimony about his covenant and his character. And the Israelites, they literally carried the testimony of God on their shoulders. But also in their experiences. This is especially true as they faced their own sin and rebellion and then approached their father for another meeting in his presence. His testimony is that as many times as they would come back to his presence, acknowledging their rebellion, he would transform them. Come on. Pastor, I think, I think that's worth saying again. What they're carrying around is essentially a statement about their God, his yes. testimony. His testimony is that as many times as they would come back to his presence, acknowledging their rebellion, he would transform them. Come on. Can I talk to you about the ark of his testimony? In Hebrew, that's the ark of the edut. I want to show you that. Just pay attention for a minute to what is highlighted in yellow. It is Always, say always. Always. Always used in connection with the testimony of God. Now we have to wrestle with something. Edut is used 82 times in this particular lemma in the Tanakh. The root for the word edut is ed, that's easy to remember, meaning witness, and it occurs well over 200 times. Now nearly every variation or form that the word takes on it conveys very positive things. Can I get a witness? That's a positive thing. <laughs> Anybody got a testimony? Yeah, that's, that's a positive thing. I'm looking for a confirmation. 
That's a positive thing. Can I get a cooperation? Yeah. That's a positive thing. Is there an attestation? Those are all the definition for the word idut. Every one of them and every one of them positive. This is really well understood in Hebrew circles. And they really don't have any negative associations with this word. Unfortunately, the word is often translated in the English language as stipulations. Yeah, no amens for that. Regulations. Demands. Statutes. Which to almost all Western readers conveys something entirely undesirable. I mean, who is crying out, I want more regulations? Only a few woke Democrats in Washington, D.C., right? But the Hebrew concept that is conveyed in the word edut is more like, I want to know him. I want his testimony, his attestation, his confirmation, his cooperation. It conveys an entirely positive concept. Now, we want to help you with this. We're going to help you to understand this better because what Pastor Eric just said is laying some important groundwork for us. Let's all turn together to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 15 and 16. Somebody say, Edut, when you get there. Joshua 4 and verse 15, it says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests... Carrying the Ark of the Covenant Law, the Ark of the Edut, to come up out of the Jordan. Now, because of the overwhelmingly positive nature of the context of this verse. I mean, we wanted to start off with an easy one to make sure that everybody's getting it. Because of the overwhelmingly positive nature, the context of this verse, as you know, is that the children of Israel have just crossed the Jordan in a miraculous kind of fashion. We Westerners read this rightly with a positive connotation. Consider how much more sense it would have said to, to say that command the priests carrying the ark of the testimony to come up and out of the Jordan. Yeah. See, as a reminder, church, we got we to connect some dots here. Every time that you and I have ever been in trouble or that we have ever been in need of him, his testimony is that his presence met you, is that his presence saved you, is that he came and he delivered you and carried you through. That is how the Hebrew people view the word edut. And notice how in Joshua, his testimony is still ongoing. It's still continuing. God is still doing for his people miracles in their lives. And this is one of the many, many proofs of that. Pastor, do you mean to tell me that every time you face an uncrossable problem, something that is overwhelming to you, you are carrying a testimony with you that said he did it before, he'll do it now, and he'll do it next time too? Yes, hey. and a million times so. That's exactly what we're saying today. But again, this is the easy one. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 2 and see how this develops. Say edut whenever you get there. Anybody watch The Godfather in here ever? Okay. Is everybody there? First Kings 2.2. 2. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. 
So be strong. Act like a man. Like a man. Act like a man. Like a man. And observe what the Lord, your God, requires. Walk in obedience to him. And keep his decrees and commands. His laws and regulations are better said, edut. As written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper. Everybody say prosper. Prosper. In all you do and wherever you go. Look, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word regulations, I do not think about prospering. Nothing about the word regulation impacts me in a positive way. In fact, this verse has a do everything right so that you don't get hurt kind of feel to it. When you don't read the EPA. word edut properly. The way a Hebrew would understand this is as a father talking to his son, telling him to remember the life-giving Torah and testimonies recorded by Moses so that you may prosper in all that you do. Amen. Regulations don't cause you to prosper. The testimony of God's character yes. causes you to yeah, prosper. Amen. Psalm 19.7 is another fun one, and we're progressing. I mean, we're moving from law of prophets to writings here. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Yeah. The statutes edut, of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Here's how that would sound to a Hebrew reader. The Torah of Yahweh is perfect, Refreshing the soul. The testimonies of Yahweh are trustworthy. Making the simple become wise. Amen. See, statutes are not something that most Western readers want more of. I mean, there is a squad in Washington, D.C., a bunch of demonic hypocrites and Israel haters that might want more statutes. But most, most don't read that word as a positive thing course if you see it as the testimony of Yahweh well the testimonies of Yahweh the testimonies that he has that he is that he will transform us there's something that every real believer wants more of and finds comforting the people of God carried a special chest called the ark of the edut or testimony as a continual reminder that they could Know him better. What's in the box is an example of saved, failed, reinscribed. This is the same testimony that you need to put in your chest. Amen. Not on your coffee table. Not on the back seat of your car. You need to get this deep down into the special place in your chest. Come on. There's no such thing as saved and just don't taint it. There is only the testimony of a great father that every time you go back up that mountain, he comes down to meet with you and renews what you broke. Amen. That is what is carried as a testimony. Come on. Look, maybe the best way for us to understand the beauty of the seven remembers and that this is the testimony of God is to just turn to Luke 15. For centuries... People have made the mistake of calling this passage the prodigal son. This passage, like the law, it's about the goodness of the father. Yeah. 
The passage is not about the badness of the son. It's about the father. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 15, let's start in verse 18. It says this, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The man who's speaking here is a son. He was birthed in the house of the father. He's lived in the father's house for a long time. He's benefited from the direction and the leading of the father. He's received many, many, many good things from his father, even wealth, even koach, even ability, in spite of all those things. The son is now in the agony of step six. He's in the agony of walking in a stiff-necked, rebellious, infuriating manner. This is the agony that he is in. See, he knows. He's personally experienced his father as good in the past. He knows that his father is still good right now in the present. And he knows now that the problem is with him and not with his father. Y'all tracking with us so far? See, this continues in verse 19. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands, hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son who already knows his father is good, has taken the tablets of his heart and he is trying to climb the mountain of shame and guilt to meet with his father. While the son had a long ways to go in his journey, his father, who is the very things on this slide we want to show you again, his father is compassionate, Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love, and forgiving wickedness. This father ran to meet his son. This is like God coming down to reinscribe the law for Moses. And the father kissed him. Their intimacy was actually in the process of growing. He already knew his father was good, but he is about to know his father far better than he ever could have imagined. He's about to know him better. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy To be called your son. The son knew his guilt. And the son knew the goodness of the father. Even knowing the goodness of the father. The very best that he had hoped for. Was to be forgiven and accepted as a servant. Guilt and shame were blinding him. To the revelation of How good his father is. The reaction of the father 
coming to meet him. Man, that is shocking, isn't it? What happens next is unimaginable, and you can only know it through experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. As we experience these next verses together, I got to tell you that your pastors are now and were while we were studying this, weeping at how beautiful this is. A father who is going to respond this way to the son. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine that was dead is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. The father was quick to reclothe the son. Quick. The father was quick to restore authority to the son. The father was quick to celebrate his son's return. The story has been and is not about the son. It is the testimony of our father, of the father who knows his son, will stagger through step six. But if they're willing to take step seven, if they're willing to carve out those stone tablets and bring them back to the Lord, if they're willing to continue in an ongoing kind of process, he is quick to restore them to higher places than before. That, my friends, is our Father's testimony. That is what the journey of salvation is. Look, we want to make sure that you see this the way that we do. This is our Father's testimony. It is His, His testimony for us. Look, the entire biblical narrative, beginning with Adam as a son of God and the sin of step six, putting him outside the paradise, is the return to the good father who will re-inscribe you, who will restore you and place you higher than you were before. That is his testimony that you are called to and called to carry every step of the journey of salvation. We've been working at this topic for seven weeks, and we've been working at it for seven weeks because it is soteriology. It is the explanation of the process of salvation. The Remember series was introduced with the message committed, where the disciples who loved the rabbi and were as committed as men can be simply were not able to stay awake. Only one remained guiltless that evening. The perfect son. The one and the only. The rest professed things with their mouth that they quite literally did not have the ability to carry out. No amount of commitment would get it done. They had to have heavenly help. They needed to cry out to their God. His testimony is found in the one and only, the perfect son who did cry out in the garden of Gethsemane for help and received it. Yeah. 
He and only he maintained the testimony of the Father. But any man who brings the tablets of his heart before our good Father, he can receive newness. He can receive empowerment over sin. He can receive transformation from heaven. And he'll know it if he has. He won't have to be told by anyone else. It doesn't have to be a gimmick on a pre-printed card. When a man has met the Father, he knows it. And it never stops. Do you think that that son running to his good father and father running to him, do you think he knew he met him? Do you think somebody had to tell him that he met him? Did he need a special card on his wall to remind him of the date? Come on, man. His real testimony is that he met you. He changes you. And every time you break what he fixes, he changes you and improves you more. That's the testimony. That's the good father's testimony. This is a testimony of overcoming power. His ability to transform. Church, in the book of Revelation, it contains seven statements to seven churches across the first three chapters. We have a slide for you. You can go back and check these out. You can take a picture and and review them. See the church at Ephesus there in Revelation 2 was told to overcome. This is actually what is told to all seven churches. There is only one son that was ever able to overcome in every situation. And even he, the one and only, had to ask his father for heavenly help. Jesus received this heavenly help and overcame even death itself. Church, the good news about this today is that there is in fact a way for you to overcome. We shall overcome. That will never happen by receiving something and then trying not to taint what you were given. You can only overcome by faithfully remembering and walking in all seven steps in an ongoing way. And that allows you to do exactly what Revelation 3.21 says. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Your salvation journey is from step one to step seven, as many times as it takes until you are proven to be an overcomer by sitting on his throne because you are his testimony. Church, do you hear the hope in that? You hear the hope in that there is a way for you to overcome. What does it look like to overcome though? Well, it looks like this. We'll come back to this slide. It's faithfully remembering and going through it again and again. Remembering step one, the day you first stood in his presence. Faithfully remembering step two, that you were a slave and he brought you out of there. Remembering step three, what the Lord did to Pharaoh and moreover. Being faithful to remember step four, how the Lord your God led you this entire time. 
Faithful to remember step five, that the Lord gives you the ability, the koach, and so confirms his covenant with you. Faithful to remember step six, how you provoked the Lord, how you've been rebellious and how he's been faithful. And faithfully remembering step seven, coming full circle. Saying, Lord, overlook our stubbornness. We are your people, your inheritance, a sign of your ability to transform. And it's aimed at one central target, to know him better. That's the hope that we have. That's how we overcome. What does it mean to overcome? It means to persevere in this process. Come on, somebody say persevere. Persevere. It means to persevere in this process until the end of your salvation journey to total transformation. It means trusting your father and taking the tablets of your heart to him again and again and again because his testimony makes the simple become wise. He transforms them. He transforms us. It means carrying this testimony with you without shrieking away from death. This is not sinning so that grace may abound. Hell no. This is knowing him better so that you cannot continue to sin. Come on. Yes. This is how we overcome. This is how we arrive at the throne of God as his inheritance. See, I'm not at all concerned with what I will inherit. I am every day concerned with what he will inherit in me. How many times do we pray through the tabernacle? Which, by the way, is essentially comprised of the exact same seven steps. As many times as it takes to be transformed in every area. How many times? Do we go through the seven feasts of Israel, which are comprised of essentially the same seven steps? As many times as it takes until we are transformed into the prince with God we're called to be. Some of you in this room, I've been saying for seven weeks and I'm going to take the opportunity to do it again. And every time you show up, I'll do it again. You've never actually even begun this process. You need to cry out to heaven. You need to be born of heaven, not an impotent human decision that there's no evidence of in your actual life. Acts 11 puts this into perspective for us. It starts in verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Greeks, people like you. Telling them the good news about Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Did you hear that? Believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence... Of the grace of God. Did your conversion experience have evidence with it? Can you see the areas that you have been so transformed in? Only God could do it. Have you been born 
of his spirit or were you just taught in a weak, impotent church to say the right things and now you sit in this church deceived? He saw the evidence of the grace of God. Searching your life, you must see evidence that God has empowered you over sin. If there is no evidence then you're still sitting in your sin. And even to these people, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord. Even with evidenced Christians, the grace of God empowering them, his warning was remain true. What does that look like? Every time you're in step six, get to step seven as fast as possible, and he will reinscribe you, and that is evidence that you're his. For many in this room, you are born again. It's clear. We can all see the evidence. You've been born of the Spirit, and you're in the process that we're talking about. To you, I say persevere in it. Yeah. You still need to cry out to heaven. You're not done yet. You need not just a second experience with the Spirit of the Lord where you speak in tongues. You need a continual experience, a cyclical one, a transformative experience. I used to ask the question, do I have to speak in tongues? Now I'm asking the question, is tongues nearly enough? Some of you in this room have realized that this did happen for you, but not at all when you previously thought it did. The corrupt teaching of I'm rededicating and, and Calvin and once saved, always saved and all of the ridiculous trash that has clouded the minds of the people at salvation as a journey left you in a place where you're claiming that you were saved a decade before you actually were. When did your life show actual evidence of power over sin? Actual birthing in the spirit? Because if that happened, but you were baptized before it as a vain religious Ritual, just completing the facade. Well, I made a decision and I got baptized. That's not what baptism is. First Peter 3.21 says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Listen to this. Notice that this pledge is not, somebody say not. Not. To one day have a good conscience. It's not a pledge for your conscience to one day be good. It's a pledge that proceeds out of a conscience that has already been cleansed by the Spirit of God. Come on. Baptism then is 
a statement that this has already happened. It is not a child dedication. So, well, when I was eight, I got saved. Then how, pray tell, did you live the next 30 years in sin? Well, pastor, it was a few years ago I really got serious about the Christian faith. You can't be saved without being serious about the Christian faith. If you've not publicly, listen to these words, publicly and truthfully declared that you are born of heaven, not made decisions, not urged by your parents, not social pressure, truthfully and publicly declared that you have been birthed of heaven and that you are presently in the transformation process. If you've not announced that with public baptism, understand this is his testimony, not yours. It's his testimony. And his testimony must be done in accordance with what the word says. We have three groups of people in the room. And you might want to be in a group that you're not. But it's not a nutshell game trying to trick the people around you. Your father knows you. If you need to be born of the Spirit, I'm not saying that you never profess love for Him. I'm not saying that He isn't pricking and prodding you with goads. I'm not saying that He hasn't done amazing things in your life. He does those things for lost people all of the time. It rains on the righteous and the wicked. If you need to be born of the Spirit, if there has never been the actual evidence of God's grace in your life, this side of the altar is for you. Bosch, Charlie, John, will y'all come be here? Also, right in the middle. If you are in this process, but it's become very clear to you, that your trip between step six, where you're rebellious, and step seven, where he reinscribes you, is lagging and delaying. If you have evidence that your life has been transformed, but you're plateauing, you need to be filled with his spirit. No, 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 pastor. When I was 12 at band camp, I spoke in other tongues. Well, good for you and your 12-year-old self. We need to continually be baptized in the Spirit. If you need a greater awareness of His power at work in you, if you need to speak in tongues for the first time, or be moved of His Spirit in new and deeper ways, that is the center of this room. The next one. I'm asking you to be faithful to these because we want to minister to you. If you're realizing that you need to be baptized and we will not baptize you if you're already born of the Spirit and have been baptized before. But if you're realizing that your baptism actually came before you were born of the Spirit and you want 
to give evidence to the truthful and public testimony of God. And the pastors want to meet with you right over here. You wrestle with this. Well, what will my parents think? God doesn't care at all what your parents think, and neither do I. This is not about your reputation. This is about His reputation. The public pronouncement cannot be given before it has actually happened in you. And when it happens in you, you should be proud to stand up and call it true and right and symbolize coming out of a grave and into life because that's when it actually happened. And we're going to do away with this false testimony that says there was no change, but because I professed it, I'm saved and I got baptized as a kid. What does a kid have to die from? What kind of commitment can a kid make? How much heavenly help did the kid get? Every one of mine, every single one of mine, as a child, got baptized, they got spirit filled, they got, and all of them came back as an adult and said, God has made it clear. I choose to follow him and I want to be baptized. And I never told any of them to do it. Three decades has taught me there is a child commitment and there is an adult commitment. And it can only come after the change has occurred. We're going to begin to stand to our feet. As I pray, make your choice. Father, we're asking here and now that your spirit would separate wheat from chaff in our hearts and in this room. We're asking, Lord, that the sheep and the goats would be dealt with. What we want, Lord, is we want to be reinscribed. We want to be filled with you. We want to know you better. Help us, Lord, have clarity. Lord, let your spirit move in us to separate fact from fiction. Let your spirit of truth move in us truthfully. In the name of Jesus.